You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. The overflow of the heart, it is the mouth that speaks church. Are you with me here? You know, uh, if you're visiting with us, we have been studying out the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, and we have been uh, seeing how those chapters uh, truly challenge our hearts and truly inspire our hearts to be devoted to God. And so we will be digging back into those chapters and continuing our study in 1st Samuel. But I thought it was appropriate to help us get to 1st Samuel by starting in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell to his knees before him. Good teacher, yes. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandment. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not be defrauded. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, all these I kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. See, Jesus is getting ready to say something to him that challenges his heart. And the Bible says that was love. His word challenging the heart was true love of God. Are you guys with me here? And of course, one of the things that can be most hidden from us is our heart. And I really believe this particular guy, his heart, where he was at, it was hidden from his for him. And Jesus does what I call heart location. He locates this guy's heart. You know, oftentimes when you get into the scriptures, they help you understand where your heart is. They help you locate where it's at. And we in the church believe your deeds evidence your heart. And so we're going to find out where this guy's heart was at. You guys with me here? Okay, let's find out now. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you ask, he said, go sell everything you have and get to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face lit up in excitement because he was so overjoyed. No. It says his face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. It is often the scriptures that help us locate our heart. And right here in Mark, we saw that that guy didn't know his heart was. He lived a good life, yet when he was challenged on his heart, he went away sad. We find that his heart was in his pocketbook. <laughs> and I've been there before. Where challenged on my finances, challenged in the pocketbook, and I go, okay, that's where my heart is. Why? Because I go away sad. <laughs> and so we understand that, that, that this guy's heart, he didn't know where his heart was at. He had a good moral life, but we believe that a good moral life does not necessarily save you. This guy had to allow God, through the scriptures, to locate his heart. Today, I put before you, let God locate your heart. You may have been living a good life. You may have kept all the commandments, but when God, when he starts really challenging 
really where you are. That's really where you are. Saul, or First uh, Samuel chapter eighteen. First Samuel chapter eighteen. We're going to dig in here, and we're going to find out that through these chapters, God is just doing what I call a little spiritual surgery on all the different characters in the Bible. And he's truly getting their heart to really see him through all of the challenges. It is said that the heart has been described as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. The heart. It has been described as the place of a person's total feeling, desire, and passion. All his or her thoughts, understanding, and will come from the heart. The heart. It is the very center of a person. The place in which God turns and turns. Basically, your heart is who you really are. In the Bible. The heart is where love rests. And it's also where hate starts. Psalms 105, verse 25, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. In the heart, it is where, 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 where sorrow begins, but it is also where joy starts. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10, John 16, verse 6. In the heart, this is where bitterness rests. But where peace can overcome. Ezekiel 27, verse 31. Colossians 3, verse 15. In the heart, this is where you, you, you determine, where you see where a person, if, if they're truly courageous or if they're fearful. Genesis 42, verse 8. Amos 2, verse 16. The heart. The heart is said to be the seat of all the actions of a man. It is where everything goes on. The heart. Dare we say, that battle that's on inside us. And as we look at the scriptures, you see many different battles. You see, obviously, we saw the big battle with David and Goliath last week. Even before that, you see how Samson overcame with a jawbone. You see all these physical battles, but I really believe there's one battle that most of us, we overlook, that I've even overlooked, as you dig in the Bible. It is the, the, the inner battle. The battle that rests in your heart. That battle that you know about it, it's, it's your heart being churned, turned. It is the inner battle. This is what a lot of the men and women in the Bible aren't necessarily commended for, but if you look at your Bible, you'll see they face an inner battle, a battle inside. And that is the title of our lesson today. The inner battle. The inner battle. God is the surgeon. You know, it's a story of a guy who's a, uh, he's called a loudmouth London mechanic. And uh, I thought all the loudmouths were from America, but you know, in it. Uh, and he's removing an engine from a car, and this is a pretty good mechanic, and of course he's at this job, and he spots this famous heart surgeon who's there getting his car worked on. And so this, this, this you know, this loudmouth mechanic, he just kind of sees him, and he's like, hey, God! Come on over here. Come here, Doc. I want to show you something. So the doctor comes on over there. And uh, this thing, surgeon is a little bit surprised. And, 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 and uh, he's surprised. He sees a guy working on a car. He's working on the engine of the vehicle. And, of course, the engine is stopped. And, it's, you know, he's, he's, he's pulling it apart. And the guy says, you know, as 
from a test, I see me and you as the same person. I mean, I worked on the car. I worked on the engine of the car. I'm an engine mechanic. And, uh, you know, I... I mean, he wipes his hands, you know, he's got the tool there, he sets them down, he sticks his chest out. And uh, he says, uh, you know, uh, as a mechanic, I, I, I deal with the inside of the car. I deal with all the inner workings of the car. And what I do with dealing with the, 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 the engine is sometimes, I, you know, I, I take out... Uh, I take out some of the some of the major parts, and I grind on those parts, and then I put them back in. Other parts I take out and I clean those parts and I put them back. And at the end of the day, in that engine, that thing can purr like a little kitten when I'm done with it. And, you know, surgeon sitting there looking at him. And the guy just says, "Well, how come? I mean, I see me and you as the same person. I mean, you work on the physical part, I work on the engine. How come you get the big bucks?" What's the reason there? What makes you any different from me? I worked on the engine. You work. Why do you get the big buck? And the surgeon just leans on over to him, and he whispers in his ear. He says, "Try doing it while the engine is running." We see that God is a great mechanic. God is a great surgeon who works on our heart while they're still running. And oftentimes, it's us who want, you know, we want to run from the work <laughs> while God is working on our hearts. And spiritually, you may need a few valves replaced. You may need a little grinding and some new parts placed in your heart so that you can truly have the heart God wants to have for you. I truly believe we all have challenges that start in our hearts. Dare we say, we have heart problems. <laughs> we have heart problems. Whether it's bitterness, impurity, hardness, numbness, unbelief, or brokenness of heart, we all have heart problems. More than 30,000 people have heart surgery in the United Kingdom, and that's every year. There was a French physician named René Lenet who invented what's called the stethoscope. And the stethoscope was, of course, the, the, the you know, little thing you put there on the, on the heart there to, to hear the beat. And he invented that because he didn't want to put his, his ear on the female chest there. He, there we say he wanted to guard his heart. <laughs> Every day the human heart creates enough energy to drive a truck 20 miles in its lifetime. That's the equivalent of going to the moon and back. That's how much power is in the heart. Heart disease is the number one cause of death for both men and women in the United States. Cancer and stroke round out the top three. Negative emotions, depression. These are all things that start in our heart. Another interesting fact about the heart is that I found out that the, the, the female heart beats faster than the man heart. It beats faster. And so there we say, there's a little bit more anxiousness in the female heart. That's just how God has created us. That's just how God has created us. We understand that it all begins in the heart. On December 3rd, 1967, 
Dr. Christian Bernard. I just want to give you some facts about the heart here before we dig on in here. Christian Bernard was a noted individual. Christian Bernard is from South Africa. This was the first successful heart transplant. He transplanted the human heart into the body of Luis Wanski. Although the recipient only lived for 18 days, it is, by, by, by medical, it, it is considered the first true heart transplant. And so we see South Africans birth the skill at changing their hearts. And I put before you today, if you don't get anything out of this challenge, that the battle inside determines the battle on the outside. The guys in the Bible struggle to overcome the inner battle, and that's what we love about them. They overcame the battle of their own heart and lived glorious lives for the Lord. Are you with me here? And if you avoid dealing with the inner battle, it will, it will determine whether you, you truly win the outward battle. And so today I challenge you to purify your hearts. Change your heart. Ultimately, at the end of this charge, God wants to strengthen your heart for Him. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. Point number 1. The heart of Jonathan. Nothing matters. We're going to look at a few different hearts here today. We're going to look at the heart of Jonathan, David, Saul. You may even see spatterings of different individuals throughout the, 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 the Scriptures. And I want you to ask yourself where you see your heart. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as his self from that day. Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing. David to David, along with his tunic, even his sword, his bow, and his belt, and we stop right there. Right here, Jonathan displays an incredible heart. <coughs> the heart that simply says, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Take my tunic. Doesn't matter. Take my sword. It doesn't truly matter. Nothing matters. But this incredible friendship that we have between each other. Jonathan displayed an incredible heart. And we had to understand, biblically, Jonathan was the next guy in line here. He was supposed to be the next, the successor here. Saul was the king, and Jonathan was supposed to be the next in line. But we understand that David overcame Goliath. David did something great, and Saul, Jonathan didn't get competitive with him. No, nothing mattered. He didn't allow things to be, you know, David and this. No, no. Jonathan is just, nothing matters. Surrender. And we see here that, that the, the Bible says in verse 1 that Jonathan and, 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 and David, they, they, they kind of, they were knit together. Their souls were, they became one in spirit, it says there. One in spirit with David, and he loved him as his son. They, they were, they, his, their souls were knit together. And so we see Jonathan, he displays another great characteristic. His heart was knit with David. And David was a warrior. So his heart was knit with other warriors, not split with other warriors. This is the heart of Jonathan. His heart was knit with David. 
instead of split. And we understand that, hey, there was no competition in the heart of Jonathan with David. He was knit together with him. He didn't see him as a competitor. Nothing happened to Jonathan. Take him to the ticket. You're the next in line. If you're, if you're, if it's supposed to be about you becoming greater and me becoming less, like John the Baptist allowed Jesus to become greater and he became less, nothing matters. Nothing matters. What a heart. A totally surrendered heart. And of course, we understand from last week's study that, you know, of course, there's Jonathan giving all his armor and all these things. David couldn't take Saul's armor. And David says, I don't want your armor, Saul, because, what do we remember? It didn't fit him. It didn't fit him. Physically. But more importantly, it didn't fit him spiritually. And the reason is because they, they, I believe they worshiped two different things. Saul worshiped himself. David worshiped God. Saul trusted in his armor, the world's protection. David trusted in God's protection. That was David's heart. And we see that true courage needs no armor other than the armor of God. And you've got to put the full armor of God on. Amen, church? Amen. But that's not the case for David. David and Jonathan, their hearts were knit together. And Jonathan's heart was, hey, nothing matters. He just was completely humble. One of the individuals I so look up to is the heart of the man who will lead our, send, our, our, our the, the, the mission team to Brazil. This is Raul Mareño. I can't say it in Spanish, Mareño. You know, a little roll to the tongue. Mareño. You know, that type of thing. He, he, he is awesome. But Raul is a man of humility. He's a man of great conviction. And, 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 and when me and Raul met together, we had both come out of very challenging situations where our leaders, our church leaders, stopped preaching the Word of God, stopped going by the Bible, and we were just kind of left there with the smoke kind of. And we saw each other, and, and Raul took a stand for the Word of God in his city. I had taken a stand for the Word of God in Portland, Oregon. And we both, we saw each other, and we just kind of lived on it, and we just, our souls were knit together. We never met each other. But because of God, our souls were knit. And to this day, Rose was one of my best friends. And we both, every time we see each other, oh, I need to get discipled by you. No, I need to get discipled by you. No, I need to get discipled by you. Let me tell you what I'm like. And it's just great. We just, there's no competition. And I think truly, I, I really believe. I go, hey, if, if, if it's Raul that needs to help me on out, he needs to help me on out. And I learned some of the greatest lessons about being a true disciple from Raul. I learned some of the greatest lessons. My heart was knit with Raul's, not split. you got to ask yourself, who's the Jonathan you're trying to knit your heart with? Or who's the David you're trying to knit your heart with? And I really want to challenge the church. Jonathan's heart was, hey, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Unconditional love. Our friendship is more valuable than military accomplishment. Nothing matters. And you got to understand, Jonathan was leading one-third of the church, one-third of the army, or the army uh, at this particular time. And so, uh, and he had won two, we, we saw it, he won two uh, very fruitful battles for the Lord. Uh, the Lord. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, he won the battle with the Philistines. And in First Samuel chapter 14, verse 1 through 6, of course, he goes over with the armor bearer, and he gets another great victory for the Lord there. So he was a, a very accomplished disciple, but nothing mattered. He wasn't focused on that. Jonathan was first. He was supposed to be the next leader. David was last. No one thought about him. Remember that? 
But nothing mattered to Jonathan, and those things there didn't really steal his faith. Jonathan was expected to be the next great leader, and David was not. We see that in the heart of Jonathan, nothing mattered. You just see true love between men. True love between two men. Who's your best friend? Who are your best friends to? See, if you don't have a heart that's willing to be humble and submissive, you may never get a best friend relationship. Where you, you just say, hey, nothing matters. You can be greater than me. You can be better. You can be better. And that's it. I mean, hey, Jonathan had overcame a Goliath as well. He won two battles. But, you know, he says, that is not about the battle. This is the next guy. And that's humility knit their souls together. True love between men will earn you a best friend. Verse 5. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops. And Saul's officers as well. Now, let's stop. This is very interesting here. You gotta, I mean, what I told you when I looked at this is the heart of the other man. Not necessarily Saul in this particular case, but it says that, that, that David was successful and Saul gave him high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops. These guys were older than David. These guys have been around longer than David. Look at the heart of the troops. They get behind a leader who has less experience than them. They get behind a leader and they submit to him out of reverence for Christ, by the way. We understand that Jesus teaches us, chapter 4, to submit out of reverence. But the problem is Saul's heart. Saul didn't get behind. The men got behind. Saul, as a leader, couldn't do something his men could do. So it's never the fault of the leader if you're not necessarily leading. We see the men, they got behind the leadership there. They didn't defy the leadership. Because they were true men of God. You know, the great going out to Oxford uh, this week. Got a chance to see our, our sister tip in out there and Jeff out there at Oxford. And uh, we took the Oxford tube, you know, you get down there and you get on the tube and you, you're sitting there. And then the tube is amazing. I mean, you get Wi-Fi internet on the tube there. And I'm feeling really good by myself. I'm sitting on my little seat there and get a little internet going. And we get to Oxford there and, you know, tip in. She, she, she's amazing. I mean, this, this, this woman's heart for God. She, she is sharing her faith. She's doing it. And literally, we get off the bus and boom, we're running to a study. I got that. And, you know, she got that little cute little French accent there, you know. She's just, but, bro, I have a study again. You know, he's doing this little thing here. We go through one study and we go to another study, then another study, then another study, then another study. We're just all over the place studying the Bible with different individuals. And one of the women that we had a chance to have a meeting with says, you know, one of the things that drew me, that really helped encourage me in my heart was the fact that I came to your church and I've seen men of God. Okay, well, really, huh? Okay. It wasn't all the women, because none of the women are awesome. But I saw men who weren't there for their wives, who weren't there scoping out a girlfriend, who weren't there because they had to, but because they loved God. I saw it in their eyes. And it gave me great faith. I saw the men of God in your church. So said, well, God's church, but thanks for the compliment I'll share with you. <laughs> but you see, if you're a man of God, it inspires. And we see the heart, the, the, the men of God here, they, they got behind David. And they were older than him. 
That's humility. Verse 6. When the men were returning home, after David had killed the Philistines, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul and singing and dancing with joyful songs and tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain, Gall him! Be a credited David with tens of thousands! He thought. Notice he didn't say it, he thought. But me only thousands! What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time up, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Wow. This is the heart of envy. This is the heart of anger. I mean, Saul's inner battle was envy. His inner battle was anger that he wasn't David. And of course, he he eventually tries to murder David. And that's what anger is in the heart. He's not pleased with the friendship David has formed with his son. Jonathan, being his best commander, was the guy who could continue to make Saul look good. Because Saul took credit for Jonathan's accomplishments. And we see that Saul has a very selfish heart here. His ambition is not for God. His, not, his ambition is not for his son. His, his ambition is for Saul. It's a very selfish ambition. And we see his pride. We see his anger. You see his jealousy at the words here. And we have to say in Proverbs 27 verse 21. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold. But a man is tested by the praise he receives. Or does and we see it as Saul. God allowed that test of praise to come crashing down on his heart. And, and, and it stirred him on up there. And it produced envy. It produced anger. And, and, and so we, we understand in the church here, maybe that's the battle you fought. Maybe that's the battle you're facing. It's a battle I fought. It's a battle I, 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 I fought. It. And I always got to crucify it. That want and need for praise. As Saul had that heart here. Verse 10, the next day, an evil spirit from the Lord came forcibly on Saul. He was prophesying in the house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it, saying, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Woo! Look at Saul's heart. Look at his heart here. This is the heart of persistent resistance to the will of God. He's fighting the will of God. He's resisting the will of God. And the Bible says, this wasn't God. A lot of times you read this, oh, well, it was God's fault. No, 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 it wasn't God's fault. No, this was the punishment for disobedience. When you have a heart that resists the will of God, you will be punished for your disobedience with an evil spirit. And that's exactly what happened to Saul here. He got, it was an evil spirit came on his heart, and it says forcibly on his heart. It was there. You ever gotten bitter before? Something happens, and you get a little irritated, but then something else happens. You an evil spirit comes landing right there on your heart now. That evil spirit came forcibly on his heart. It was the punishment for his disobedience. That's the punishment for his disobedience. 
And what's interesting here is God uses the evil spirit to deal with the evil in his heart. That's like, wow, that's interesting. Didn't say he used the spirit of God to deal with the evil in his heart. No, he uses an evil spirit to deal with the evil in his heart. And so we learn that, you know, if you're struggling with bitterness, God will use bitterness to teach you to quit being bitter. If you're struggling with anger, God will use anger to stop you from being angry. <laughs> you're struggling with selfishness, God will give you somebody to study the Bible with that's selfish, and you'll be going, I can't believe how selfish this person is. Jesus, Jesus, are so selfish. And you talk to your peers, your friends, and they go, brother, that's your inner battle. And God is using that inner battle in your heart to help you overcome the inner battle in someone else's heart. Verse 12. Saul was afraid of David. Because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaign. And everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. I mean, this was a Bible talk leader. This was a guy that said, hey, listen, I'll lead in the campaign. No baptism, I'll go get one. No evangelism, I'll, I'll bring the visitors. No joy in our, in our church, I'll be joyful. No happiness, I'll be happy. I'll turn to God, get some happiness, put some happiness. I'm not going to miss you guys need to be happy. What's wrong with you? Where are visitors? I, I was that person before. And that, that's the battle I can even, even, you know, I've got, I've got to watch my own heart here. But I, I don't wrestle with that inner battle. David led them in their campaign. He led his unit. You're not going to win someone to Christ. You're not going to win someone to be humble if you're not humble. What do you, what do you have? <laughs> you're not going to win someone to overcome your, their purity if you're not overcoming your purity. And a lot of people go, what do we have to do? Is there some special, is there some addiction he has? Well, he's always going on the internet looking at pornography. No. In Galatians, it says you need to live by the Spirit. The reason why people don't overcome, overcome sins is they're not living by the Spirit. You're just not being spiritual. Simple. You're either lazy or you're not truly dealing with your heart. The inner battle. Verse 17. Saul said to David, Here's all this dark. Mary, I'll give her to you and Mary. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, Man, this guy has a lot of self-talk. <laughs> he doesn't get open, but boy, he sure does just have some self-discipling there. You know, I mean, that was the way Saul did it. I mean, he didn't want to get open about what was in his heart. He wanted to disciple himself and then kind of fix it on up and then kind of have fellowship. You know, you ever been there? I'll not raise a hand against him, let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, who am I? And what is my family? Oh, my father's clan in Israel that I come king's son-in-law. So when the time came for Merah, Saul's daughter to be given to David, she was given to marriage to Adriel or Meho. Now Saul's daughter, Nicole, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I'll give her to him. See, thought, there he is again, thinking. <laughs> so that she may be a snare to him, and so that the land of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, hey, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. 
then Saul ordered his attendants to speak to David privately. And say, look, the king is pleased with you. And his attendants all like you. Now become his son-in-law. Saul, this is very sad here. Saul, Saul had a ministry where his guys liked one. He convinced his guys to tell a lie. He convinced his guys to, to, to totally tell a lie. And I go, wow, that, that, that's not good. And, and you see that his guys didn't have the guts to go, I'm not going to lie, Saul. They didn't want to deal with that battle, with being honest with the leader who was doing something wrong. You know, it's a great here in the church. We got men and women of God who have convictions with God, not just convictions to follow people because people say to follow people. The people say to this, no, no, no. You gotta have, you gotta fight that battle. Well, you want to please God, not just the people that God has put in your life. These guys didn't do it. They pleased all. They liked one. And they didn't ever face that battle internally that had to deal with authority. Verse 23. They repeated these words to David, but David said, It's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law. I'm only a poor man and little known. When Saul's servants told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, The king wants no more price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. I mean, that, that is a little bit of a challenge. Bro, I want you to go out and fight the enemies and get a hundred foreskins. Yeah, just hold the guy down and just, you know, get foreskin there. What? No, it's Hunter. Can you bring that to you? Okay, amen, bro. I mean, that's a challenge. <laughs> that's incredible. I mean, I can see the guys there. I mean, woo! This is, this is, a, this is, a, this is a, a pretty humbling thing, but a pretty challenging thing here. That can get thrown in the lap of David. And it says, Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. When the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become his king's son-in-law. So before the allotted time left, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought the four stands and presented the full number of the kings that might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter in marriage. Look at the heart of David. David didn't have a heart of doing the minimum. God allowed this challenge in his life through Saul, who was very unrighteous, and we understand that. But God is still sovereign. That means whatever is in your life, God either allows it to happen or he makes it happen. And you might as well quit trying to forget it. Thinking of God. God. God is overseeing. God is sovereign. He allows it. And David went beyond. He went beyond the challenge. God allows challenges in our life, does he not? And David not only embraced it, he went beyond the challenge. He had a heart that went beyond. That's a great question for us. I mean, do you have a heart to go beyond the challenge? Not just meet the minimum, okay, here's a hundred. I need a hundred. Whoa, so challenging. I know you're a hard guy, harvesting where you've not sown. Oh, I got that hundred. No, he didn't get his eyes focused on Saul. He went beyond the challenge. I mean, you got to ask yourself that question. I mean, if you're a husband, there are challenges that we face as husbands. <laughs> we face those challenges as husbands. Do you, have, do you have a heart to not only deal with that challenge, but be going, go beyond it? Maybe your challenge is patience. 
Your wife wants you to be patient. And you're not only patient, you're super patient. <laughs> not a hundred times patient, two hundred times patient. You're just patient. Maybe your, your, your wife wants you to be more loving. Whatever the challenge is. And you go beyond the challenge. We've got to have that heart as disciples. We've got to have the heart not to be the minimum, but to go beyond. Same is true for, for, for in our marriages, even with our wives. God says, hey, to submit to your husband. I can use an amen on that. Okay. Laura, <laughs> I saw you facing the inner battle right there. I saw it. It was in your eyes. <laughs> this, this battle. Submit. Don't say that word. You have a heart to go beyond the expectation of your husband. Maybe your husband... We just lay it out here in the church. Maybe, maybe he wants to spend time with you as a husband and wife does. And you say, hey, listen, I'm not going to meet the minimum. I'm going to go beyond the expectation. See, if you don't talk about sex in church, you know, you'll talk about it in other places. This is where we need to be talking about it. Are you with me here, church? The internet will tell you about it. You, you go on the internet looking for some answers and you get yourself in trouble. But see, we in the Word of God, we come to church, hey, you get the right answer, guys. we got to have that heart in our marriages to go beyond. To go beyond. That's just the means of the minimum that I need the minimum. No, go beyond. Go beyond. Campus student. Any campus students here? Yeah. I see a few of you hiding in the wine presses in the back there. You know, hands on there. I mean, these are, these are special young people that love the Lord. Yeah. Had a great talk with one of our uh, our young kings in the making named Doppel King. <laughs> and although his name is King, God is trying to say, hey, I'm still King now. <laughs> and Doppel's had great success and done all these different things. And after our Friday night devotional, we had a, 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 a challenge on being excellent in the Lord. And not only being excellent as a disciple, but sharing your faith and doing all those things, but also being excellent in your studies. And I called him up and I said, bro, you took off like, like lightning out of there. You're like the Holy Spirit. So what, what's going on in your heart? He goes, I was just very challenged by the lesson and I went home to study. It's a great heart. It's a great heart. Our campus students, we can't be missing lectures because you've got to be a disciple. It's like stealing the Bible to have a quiet time. <laughs> I'd have a quiet time and had to rip it off, but you know. Sometimes we got to face that battle. we got to go beyond what God calls us to do. And of course, we understand we have special missions coming on up. And we can't have that heart just to meet that minimum, but to go even beyond. So we can do greater things than we can even ask or imagine. Not only that God could, but we could do greater things than God could ask or imagine. Verse 28. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and his daughter, Michal loved David, Saul became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemy the rest of his days. The Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle. And so, and as often as they did, David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known. Chapter 19, point number 2. Here we're going to look at the heart of Saul even more so, which is the heart of selfish ambition. The heart of Saul. 
selfish ambition. Chapter 19, verse 1. It's also the son Jonathan. And all they intended to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him. My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him, Let no one, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He is wrong. He has not wronged you. And what has what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord, look at, I love, I love, it just highlights these things. The Lord won a great victory over Israel, or for all Israel. And you thought, and were glad. Why then? Would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him? For no reason. Wow. Look at the inner battle between Saul and Jonathan. The inner battle between the, 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 the leader and the father. The inner battle between the son and the, and the, and the father, the parents. Jonathan faced an inner battle with his, with his parents. He faced it. And I'm sure, I mean, if you were Jewish, you knew the Old Testament. You knew Exodus. And I can see Saul quoting Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. That says, honor your father and mother. You need to honor your father and mother right here, Jonathan. I, I, I can see Saul doing that to him. And his ambition wasn't for him to be spiritual, but it was a selfish ambition. He's you know, just working on Jonathan now. He worked on everybody with his selfish ambition. I can see him really making it hard for Jonathan. Making it very challenging. Saul was a parent who was very selfishly ambitious. His ambition wasn't for Jonathan to be right with God, for Israel to be right with God. Everything revolved around Saul. We learn that just because someone is, is a parent, you just not just a chick. You can't manipulate your kid. He's manipulating his son here. Not for the glory of God, but for his own self. And of course, we understand that he was angry. Have you ever faced that, 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 that battle? The battle with your own family. The battle where your family is trying to stop you from being God has called you to be. I was abandoned at the age of 14. I haven't lived with my mother since I was 13. I was homeless for two years. By the age of 17, I got my own apartment. I got tired of living wherever I could lay my hat. My mother, at that particular time, went to jail. Say, why is that? Well, she got involved with drug use. She didn't want to deal with that inner battle. She shut down and used drugs. She quit. Things got so challenging in our family that not only did I have to find a place for myself, but I also had to to embrace another battle. All three of my younger brothers. Very, 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 right down the line. My brother Adrian at that time, I was 17, he was, I believe, 14. Perry was 12, and my other youngest brother, Terrence, was about 11. And so I was 17 years old going to college, as they would say here in London, with three kids. Very challenging battle to face. But by the glory of God, I still graduated high school, 
Got an academic scholarship to go on to college. Went to, well, university, you guys will say uni. I went to uni, got out of uni. Got a great job, started making all this money. And it was at that time I started realizing how bitter I was with my, my mother. How angry I was. And I had to deal with some things. I had to forgive her for the challenges that God had allowed in her life that had toppled down on me as her oldest son. I had to deal with those challenges. And after I dealt with those challenges, I became a disciple. And when I became a disciple, it stirred up feelings in my mom's heart. And, and even though we had worked through our relationship since, and now we've worked through our relationship after I become a disciple, she started persecuting me for becoming a Christian. You're in a cult. I can't believe you're going to church. It was very hurtful. She withdrew fellowship from me again. It stirred up things that I went through when I was very young. And I had to deal with that inner battle. And at the end of the day, me changing my life and not quitting on the challenges that God had allowed in my life through her, that convicted her. And instead of helping me, she criticized me for it and tried to stop me from being a sold-out disciple. And I had to take a stand with my own mother. I had to deal with that inner battle. Do you have to take a stand with someone in your family for the scriptures? That may be a battle you have to face to help them see that you can, you, you, you can through your challenges turn to the Lord. And God can be more important than anything else in your life. They may have never seen that. They need to be taught that through their own son, their own daughter, someone in their own family. You may need to be the voice of hope in a hopeless situation. We understand something else from this particular passage. That David represented the hope for all the people. He represented the hope for Israel. And so Saul wanted to kill David. Saul wanted to kill hope for the entire nation. He wanted to kill David, who was the hope for Israel. He wanted to take out the hope. And I really believe all true disciples are the hope for London. I said all true disciples are the hope for London. I mean, London, I mean, we're looking at the hope for London right here. Sometimes it could, you know, you may get a little hopeless, but this is the hope. You look around, you go, okay, we look a little hopeless here. No, this is the hope. You're the hope for London. You're the hope for this city. And anyone who wants to destroy the hope for this city, who wants to destroy a disciple, you have the heart of Saul. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to stop someone from being a disciple? And we understand biblically that Jesus was the son of who? He was the son of David. So if Saul could destroy David, he could destroy the son of David, Jesus Christ, who was later to come. Don't let anyone destroy the hope. Face that battle and fight that battle, even if it's in your own family. First Samuel chapter 19, verse 6. You guys still with me? 
Saul listened to the Jonathan and took an oath. As sure as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul. And David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out. And David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in a house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. This is so interesting to me as I look at the heart of Saul. So selfish. Did he not just give an oath? Yeah. He just gave an oath. He just said, hey, I'm not, okay, Jonathan, I'm not going to do this. All right, he just gave an oath. What did we learn there? Saul's oath meant nothing. He was a liar. Quick with the mouth, quick to lay it out, not quick to live it out. Just gave an oath, but, 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 but. It meant nothing. Because it wasn't followed with action. He was a liar. And we understand from John chapter 8, verse 44, that Satan is the true liar. You guys with me here? So what made Saul break his oath was Satan. Was Satan. And for us as disciples, we've got to ask ourselves, hey, have we broken any oaths lately? Whether it's a weekly oath? We've got to ask ourselves, have we broken any oaths? We also learned something else very interesting here. It says that night, David made good his escape. Because he was trying to avoid the fear of Satan. You know, if you want to make... Hey, yeah, David moved quickly. <laughs> this guy moved very quickly. If you want to avoid the darts of Satan, you got to move quickly. <laughs> David moved quickly. This is that very night he made good as a state. Sometimes you got to move quick as a Christian. Verse 11. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took an idol. Oh my gosh. Michal has got an idol, guys. You guys notice that? So we read over things and we just graze over it. So she took an idol and laid it on the bed, covering it with a garment and putting some goat hair at the head. I, I thought of myself there with the goat hair, a little thinning hair there. I thought, okay, amen. I can relate there. When Saul sent the men to the captain David, McCall said, he is ill. Then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I might kill him. But when the men entered, there was an idol in the bed. And at the head was some goat hair. Saul said, to me, why did you deceive me like this? And send my enemy away so that he escaped. The call told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? Let's stop right there. I mean, there's a lot going on in this one, guys. There's a lot going on with the inner battle here. I mean, the, the first thing is, I mean, what incarnations is McCall doing with an idol in the house? <laughs> There's got an idol hanging out. Right the house. A little terrifying. We understand that idols are not to be worshipped over God. Amen? Amen? And she's got an idol in the house. 
This woman has a man after God's own heart, but she's still dependent on idols. She's still got idols in the house. We also see that David allowed that. He tolerated that idol in the house. He was in there. But we see that she used this idol. What we like, you can have an idolatry heart in the kingdom. Just because you're married to a man who's spiritual doesn't mean you as a woman will be spiritual. She's using an idol here. We've got to ask ourselves a question. Got any idols in the house? But if you've got an idol in the house, just sell it for missions, okay? Amen? <laughs> Get rid of the idol, just sell it. Sell it for special missions contribution. He said, I can't see any idols in the house. I don't see anything. Well, you know, I tell you, maybe you're the idol. Maybe you've got to crucify you. I mean, that's the, that's, the, that's the inner battle I face often. That I may not look around and see any idols. As soon as I look at the man in the mirror, oh, there's one big idol. Some goat hair there, okay? I need to deal with Michael. I'm my biggest enemy. I'm my biggest enemy. McCall struggled with idolatry. Struggled with idolatry. Now we understand McCall is all dark. You guys with me here? So what do we learn there? Do not think that your kids aren't picking up on your habits. Saul was very idolatrous. Saul was very selfish. And she picked up on it. She learned how to lie from her dad. He's a good liar. He's the one who just broke his oath. And he's shocked. I can't believe why are you what's wrong with you? You deceived me. Like, what are you into? He saw the dad. What do you think he learned it from? Unsubmissive children learn from maybe an unsubmissive parent. What's the positive to what we see here with McCall? Well, of course, she helped King David get away. Amen. <laughs> she, you see, she said, so she helped King David get away. And we see the negative, the negative battle that she did. But the positive battle that we see in McCall that I see is that uh, she used creativity. She got creative on how to help David get away. She was like, okay, let me check out and put an island in. She, I mean, she was a, this woman was slick here. She was smart there. She, she was a thinker. And so you need a, you need a woman who's slick. You need a woman who's a thinker. I'm so fired up about my wife. She's slick. She's a little thinker, boy. She, I mean, sometimes we're sitting on the couch and I see her little, little, she's just calculating things in her little mind there. <laughs> Many battles are won with creativity. Yeah. Many battles are won with creativity. You want to win your parents? Get creative. Love them. Do something you know that hits their heart. You want to build your Bible talk? Get creative. She was very creative. And it helped win the battle that day. And of course, we can overlook this passage and not see the heart of God. What was God's heart in this particular situation? God allowed an idol of the devil to protect the Son of God. I mean, look at the heart of God. He's awesome. He allowed an idol to protect the Son. 
Because God is always in control. Amen. Amen. Is that not powerful, God? Oh, yeah. Verse 18. Let's close on out here. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and they stayed there. Word came to Saul. David and Naoth remnant. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it and he sent more men and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left Ramah and went to the great son of Sekou and asked, Where are Samuel and David over in Naoth? They replied, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even upon him and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. What in the world God, you know? He stripped off his robe and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all that day and night. This is why the people say, is Saul among, also among the prophets? I mean, is this not confusing or what? You go, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought he was selfish. I thought he was angry. I, thought, I mean, I thought that's the end of battle. Now he's preaching the word. We're still having this He's having this. I mean, I rest. I had the inner battle on this one, guys. And I was saying this. Said, what in the world is the Lord trying to show me about this passage? Here and I go, wow, Saul has a supernatural experience by God. And, but if he's angry, I know he's falling away. The Spirit of the Lord is taking away. And I realized something. That you can have a supernatural spiritual experience and be falling away from God. That just because you have some experience doesn't mean you're right with God. You can be incredibly religious. Paul got super religious here. But he wasn't right with God. And we learned that religious experience does not change your heart. It does not deal with the inner battle. It doesn't change your heart. Just because you have this great spiritual. He was in the fire. He was, in, he was getting ready to go to hell. And he had this crank. I really believe this. The reason God allowed this experience is because he was getting ready to go to hell. God reveals himself. Try to get you to get your eyes and go, listen, there still is a God. There's still hope for you. And Paul didn't deal. And so his heart was never healed. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 through 8, we see this same thing in the heart of Judas. Judas is a guy who preached Christ in sermons, but still went to hell. He still went to hell. You can fall away and have this incredible experience prophesying in the presence of men of God and still be falling away from God. Saul's heart was selfishly ambitious. And we understand that in James chapter 3, verse 14, it says, where there's selfish ambition, you have disorder in every evil practice. There was a lot going on in the heart of Saul. There was a lot going on. And it was all to promote self. Well, guys, we've reached chapter 20, and time is up. Time is up. And we want to dig into the heart of David, but we come back next week, we're going to dig into the heart of David and truly see some things that we can learn from there. And I I truly believe, guys, I, I really want to challenge you today to deal with your heart. 
to deal with your heart. Identify where you saw your heart in the scriptures and deal with that heart. That is the inner battle that we all must face every day. And so in closing, I'm going to read to you the lyrics of the song that helps me, that inspires me to deal with my heart. And for you, dealing with your heart may mean confession sin. It may mean getting into a Bible study with the individual that brought you to church today. It may mean taking a stand with someone who's always been your best friend. I challenge you to deal with the inner battle in closing the song. One shot to the heart without breaking the skin. Nothing has the power to hurt you like your sin. Kept it inside, didn't tell no one else. Didn't even want to admit it to myself. And now your chest burns and your back aches from 15 years of holding the pain. And you only have yourself to blame if you continue to live this way. Get it together, you want to heal your body. Get it together, you have to heal your heart. Whatsoever you sow, you will reap. Get it together. You can fly. Dark futures are heavy. That's what they said. I'd be sorry if I ate all the lies that the world has fed. Because I've been redeemed from anguish and pain. A miracle child floating on a cloud. Because the words that come from your mouth, you're the first to hear. Speak words of beauty and you'll be there. No matter what anybody says, what matters is putting God above yourself. Get it together, you want to heal your body. Get it together, you have to heal your heart. Whatsoever you sow, you shall reap. Get it together. I challenge you, get it together. Deal with the inner God. To God be glory. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H.org.uk. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals you can find all that on our website also once again we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one